Kirk Hope is the Chief Executive of Business New Zealand, the largest what is it, federation of the various chambers of commerce uh, and the like, uh, joins us today. Kirk, welcome to Taxpayer Talk. Thanks, Jordan. So, fair pay agreements. Uh, originally, I, Business New Zealand was sort of involved in the creation or in the um, sort of design of the process. Take us through sort of... Uh, we were up to the bill, the first reading of the bill has just gone through, uh, select committee submissions are, are, are next. Take us up from the this being just a, a, a twinkle in the eye of um, the Labour Party to where we are today. Yeah, sure. Um, so just to, to probably refer back, I mean, it, um, fair pay agreements have been Labour Party policy for a for I think around uh, three elections, um, possibly longer. Uh, it, it's a policy idea that has been generated out of the union movement. Um, and so the government put together a working group with, um, with uh, Jim Bolger chairing it. Um, and that was really to flesh out some of the design details. It was clear that they wanted to push ahead with the policy. New Zealand first stopped them doing that in the, in the last parliament. They, um, they were not keen on it at all. Uh, so they said, we're not going to support it. Therefore, they, they, they didn't progress uh, with where the working group report got to. In the, in the working group report, um, it sets out some of the features of a fair pay agreement. So what would you need by way of worker representation to trigger a fair pay agreement, 1,000 workers or um, 10% of a workforce in a sector and occupation or however you de- de- uh, determine uh, what you're wanting to target? Um, th- so what happens if you can't agree? Uh, so no, no rights, no right to strike is attached to fair pay agreements. So so you can't. So a, a sector couldn't start to strike as a result of not having an, a fair pay agreement or, or not being able to get one. Um, so what happens if you can't get one? It goes to the Employment Relations Authority for their determination. If so, on the side of employment, so that's the sort of s- sort of the the stick, isn't it? Mm. If, yeah. If, if you can't agree, someone else agrees for you. Yeah, because it's sort of my understanding is I mean, there's a generational issue here mm. because everyone I speak to about this, they sort of make the joke about it's going back, taking New Zealand back to the 1970s. Well, you know, I'm I'm 35. For me, the 1970s is just disco. Everything else is sort of is um, uh, is lost. But this idea of the tripartite sort of relationship where you've got employer groups, the unions, and government. This smells a sort of uh, smoky room sort of deals with the threat of if we don't come to an agreement, the government comes in and will determine, what is it, wages? What else? Uh, well, it'll be wages and conditions. Um, so so that might cover a whole range of things. So essentially the, the idea of them is to create a create a, a, min- a set of minimum standards outside the minimum standards that exist um, and with the minimum wage and, and other employment law. So... Um, so one of the things about them is, if you're an employer, uh, in if you're identified as an employer in that sector, you're compelled to bargain. So you can't back out of it. Um, so Can I, as an employee, opt out? Uh, yeah, I, I think you probably could. I mean, so I can still negotiate individual. In a, so let's say I'm. Um, you, you might. You, what might happen is you might have to go back to your employer and, and try and negotiate something above what the what the minimum standard okay, so is. Okay, it's all minimum yep. raised. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, our our 
our view about that is essentially what you're going to get as is averaging averaging across the sector, right? So it won't won't necessarily stop um, lower wages in a particular sector. In fact, it may even lower wages for some workers in a sector where there's not that much competition. So, um, which which is an interesting thing that unions will never talk about. I mean, my observation about what one of the things that we detested about fair pay agreements, and we we made this point to, in, the, in the working group report. We asked for a minority perspective on compulsion because it breaches international standards, right? Yep. New Zealand governments have committed to you know supporting voluntary bargaining over a long period of time since they signed um, since the, since they signed an international labour standard on it, um, and it's been enacted in law. So they support voluntary. They've long supported voluntary bargaining. This is compulsory bargaining. It forces people to the table, and that's why you know again that's a bottom line for us. That's that's pretty terrible policy. Yeah, I noticed in the small print on it, it's a, a real bugbear of the taxpayers' union, is that uh, more and more across government there's a bonus for joining the union, mm. which then goes its union fees and circles back round to a particular political party that's funded by the unions. This embeds that, that a feature of these standards will be bonuses for joining the, joining the unions. Is that why the unions are um, attracted to it or what's fundamentally what's driving this uh well i think a couple of things from you know i don't want to speak for the unions but i mean i think from their perspective the um the lack of kind of coverage if you like in in private sector particularly in private sector uh in the private sector unions have coverage about 12 percent of the workforce um i'm not sure i mean uh they become very cagey when you ask them, you know, what the benefits are for for unions in terms of driving this. Um, but you would expect they would they would seek to expand coverage. Um, so we, one of the reasons I just want to return back to your point about the seventies. Um, you know, I can barely remember them myself, believe it or not. Um, but you know, New Zealand was, um, you know, New Zealand had widespread sectoral bargaining, um, which occurred, and and often, you know. When those things didn't go well, um, you couldn't travel in New Zealand, or you know there were often there were often pinch points because because you had sectors like you know perhaps the maritime workers union saying actually we're not getting what we want, we're going on strike at Easter or we're going mm. on strike in the school holidays, and you can't run the inter islanders, you can't couldn't run the rail, um, couldn't run potentially you know parts of New Zealand. So what happens is these widespread. Um, Large-scale collective bargaining processes um, could, can really grind the economy to a halt. That's why they were they were over. But you said they, that this doesn't have that because they that, can't strike. They can't strike. Um, but but in terms of um, in terms of uh, in terms of the way that uh, they are going to have to engage, I mean, it's going to it is going to cause uh, it will cause an impact on the economy, no doubt. How do you, like, what's the threshold for this? How do, is one of these things started? Is it just any of the unions? Is there a minimum number? Because what I find quite remarkable about this is it's negotiated and then spread across the whole sector, across mm. the whole country. And look, I'm um, currently recruiting someone in, in Auckland, and even between Auckland and Wellington, it's really noticeable, the the market rate difference. If you're a, um, one of the, you know, or any size business, operating in provincial New Zealand, suddenly having to pay sort of Auckland rates, that could decimate you. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that was one of the one of the arguments that we put forward to said, you know, you might want to, 
you might want to, and it's one of the thing, one of the things I think in the end which caused New Zealand first some uh, some concern in the in the last government, which made them not support fair pay agreements, was that y- you will uh, have a really significant impact on small to medium sized enterprises in regional New Zealand if you if you're driving it for a national price basically for labour. Um, because those markets are quite different and they're structurally different. Um, you know, there may be a, a greater availability or less availability of labour in those markets, which causes different differential pricing, right? There may be lower skills uh, skills for particular parts of a sector in a particular region because because they're smaller. Um, they have less, you know, have less needs, whatever. I think, um, you know, the uh, the the. There's many challenges. So how how do you trigger a fair pay agreement? I think I said at the start, you, you, a a bargaining agent on behalf of um, the the unions or uh, whoever, because they don't need to be a union to to trigger a fair pay agreement. Okay. It's just a worker representative. They've got obligations when they trigger a fair pay agreement. So they have to they go and uh, we should lead the one for tax collectors. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we. Um, so what they'll do is they'll go and identify. They might not like the deal, though. <laughs> <laughs> go and identify ten uh, percent of the workforce, or, or you know, a thousand workers, and say, okay. is it the upper one or the lower one of those? Uh, lower one, or, or there's a public interest test as well. So it may not be. It may be lower. The threshold may be, may be lower if it's deemed that there's a public interest around. So, around so that would mean. So I'll just. Yeah, I'll, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh-huh. what that means is the the bargaining agent then has to identify all of the employees in this in the sector, occupation, or or industry. Uh, then they have to um, identify the employers. Um, there's a bargaining agent, on, a set of bargaining agents, potentially on behalf of both sides. So um, is, is that, because that was Business New Zealand's role initially, wasn't it, or intended to be? Well, it was intended that we would be a default bargaining agent, so if you couldn't find one, we would be one, and the government office offered us $250,000 a year for three years to do that, and we said, no thanks. Um, we don't like fair pay agreements, and we certainly don't want to be hypocritical and take get taxpayer money mm. um, for supporting them. Uh, so, so we just said, take, we'll, we'll con- we would continue to help industry organisations if they were forced to the table. So we, we, but we'd use our own um, own money to do that. Well, it's music to my ears because obviously the Taxpayers Union, Business New Zealand, have sparred before under your predecessor <laughs> um, about uh, the uh, incorrect decision of of the predecessor to take taxpayer money. Um, so that's good. That's marvellous to hear. Um, a lot of this, though, fundamentally though, comes down to labour productivity, and the you know we've got one of the highest uh, minimum wages in the world when you compare it to average wage, uh, and what this in effect does is create new minimum wages depending on your sector. We can certainly talk about the way that screws the unemployed and the people mm. trying to get into that sector, um, particularly if it's a if it's a skilled one that's the marginal employer, uh, sorry, employee. It makes the marginal cost of bringing someone new. On, and there's lots of uh, evidence around the uh, long-term sort of base unemployment rates when you, once you've got these. But I really want to focus at productivity because that's mm. your, you know, that, that's your shtick. Mm. Um, how does this, you know, mindful that we haven't yet talked about Australia and that the government is certainly saying we're simply coming up to um, the Australian sort of level, what are the f- implications long-term on productivity of, of this? Uh, Unless there, unless there are productivity gains that are built into the discussion or the negotiations around terms and conditions, the 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 
there'll be zero productivity gain. It'll just be driving up, potentially driving up the cost of labour. But as I said, you may average it and actually drop some people's wages, and which, which you know, which I think so, the general so public are not not aware of. So it could one by of these deal, deals does that trump existing contracts? Yeah. Wow. Yep. So so it is. You know, again. So so hang on. I've been approached. So let's <clears> say um, was back when I was a. Uh, a, a bunny lawyer, a junior lawyer, and someone gets together all the sort of staff, well, you need a thousand staff solicitors of um, of firms. Mm. I can say, no, stuff that. Um, um, I'm quite happy where I am or my particular conditions or, 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 or whatever. Um, you know, it might be I'm on a lower wage, but I'm allowed to do work on political stuff or something like that. I, I don't know. If it's, and even despite me opting out, this still comes and trumps my deal. Yep. So wow. it, you know, it override any individual employment contracts, and I mean, you, they could still exist. Um, the, I guess, I guess, what's going to happen is this will provide a floor, and then there will be potentially be negotiations above the floor. In unionised sectors, um, where there is collective bargaining, you could have a situation where there's a fair pay agreement um, agreed, no, no right to strike, but then there's collective bargaining activity that happens on top of a fair pay agreement for further paying conditions which which will have a, a strike you know potential for strikes attached to it so it is it is the layering consequence that you have to be mindful and worried about um, just just to go back um, to uh, an earlier point about Australia and um, this is actually quite a different system than Australia you know explain that because I mean it when I speak to stakeholders and donors, I explain this concept of the Overton window, which is now quite a wasn't didn't used to be now a fashionable term. And it's the idea of every area of public policy has like the limits of what sort of viewed as extreme or unreasonable, and then you know po possible common sense and current policy sort of moving in like a the old box and whisker graphs used to do at, at school. It'd be pretty interesting right and, now. And the example I often use is well that you know generally Australian public policy tends to be on the more conservative side of New Zealand but then in industrial relations and unions it tends to be more to the left because the Overton window has shifted so I'm really interested in what, what are those differences because that's certainly what the government is is putting up the argument that well no Australia's not too bad their wages are higher we're simply doing what they're doing. Yeah, which is you know it's really interesting. We get accused of misinf providing misinformation, which is which is unreasonable actually. Um, so the Australian situation is quite different. It's not bargained. So one, so this will be bargained. Um, so what happens is essentially the what, fair. What what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Negotiated. So, but the unions negotiate in, in Australia, don't they? Yeah, but so I'll just go back to the process for okay. award. How awards are set. Um, effectively, the the union and the that looks after the particular occupation or, or sector will put forward their best submission in terms of price and conditions and the employer group will say, no, we don't like that. And the Fair Work Commission then makes a determination. So a court makes a determination. So it's not a negotiated outcome. In New Zealand, this will be a neg compulsory negotiated outcome. Um, with And if you can't agree, it'll go, um, it'll go back to the go back to the Employment Relations Authority Th for that determination. That sounds very similar. I, I still haven't understood the, dif the difference. It, it, well, I mean, it's, so so there's no... Um, so what happens in Australia is, is 
virtually a predetermined outcome. The parties don't negotiate with each other. They just make a presentation. Oh, to I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, oh, I see. Oh, so, so they make their best offer and then it goes straight to the court. Yeah, or, yeah. Here you're forced into the room. Yeah. And everyone gets paid to do, to, to do it. Obviously, you know, the, yeah. both the unions get a big, fat, juicy taxpayer check, and whoever the the, the, the professional body or the um, the bargaining agent, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the industry, the peak body. Um, I see. And then so here it's it, it's the threat of court in the forced negotiation. You've got a you've got a time determined um, period to to achieve an agreement. Okay. Before it goes to the authority. So you've got a few triggers there. So how widespread are we talking? Paint the picture for if this goes through. Well, the government have said there's going to be very few of these agreements um, and they'll only be uh, they'll only operate for the most vulnerable sectors. But actually there's no restriction on triggering a fair pay agreement except those trigger points. So if you get 1,000 workers uh, or 10% of a workforce or it's in the public interest, uh, you can trigger a fair pay agreement. So you could actually see these um, triggered in quite high-paying industries and sectors. Um, so there's no, as I said, except for those trigger points, there's no restriction on them. And and in some ways, you know, uh, why people should be quite worried um, is because the unions may well target, um, you know, well, high-paying sectors. the professionals back into the unions. You focus on, you know, the lawyer example or um, just the regulated industries where you've got a... a um, you know, a, 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 a central point for, I'm thinking, auditors, accountants, all, all that sort of thing. It could be very widespread. And it brings the, that whole, that, that thing that we've respected, at least in my professional lifetime, that it's, beto- you know, it's between you and your employer, mm. um, is out the window. Yeah, well, I mean, what we're moving... So for many years we've had what we describe as enterprise-level bargaining or in, in individual contracts that are developed out of um, enterprise level level bargaining so that that means bargaining occurs between employers and union representatives uh, just at a at a business level yeah you know where where it, where it happens uh, and there are some good reasons why why um, organize large organizations might want to do that um, particularly if they have you know heavily unionized workforces uh, it's a way for them to you know to to get a kind of balance across the large scale workforces with very similar um, very similar skill sets, um, so you don't, for the reasons that we, we've described, you, you may not want too much variation. Um, you can make the call then yourself um, as, as a business, you know, how those regional markets might respond to, to what you're doing with your, you know, your workforce across those um, so it, it is quite different um, because it's, it's this is this is sector uh, level bargaining. So it raises you know it's a lot lot more large mm. scale. Um, and again, you know, we refer to the seventies uh, as a as a shortcut because um, because that's the last time and and really in New Zealand that you saw early eighties uh, really large scale um, bargaining happening, uh, collective bargaining happening uh, at, at industry and uh, and sector level. So I want to be fair, be devil's advocate. Uh, other than in the public sector, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's where the unionism is largely left. So Morgan Godfrey, um, a, quite a, a left-wing academic activist, has a piece uh, in, carried by Stuff today, where he quotes Brett O'Reilly, saying that the uh, that the one of the problems with the fair pay agreements is that it will result, result in higher wages. And he says, well, yes, that's exactly the point of this whole exercise. Put to you, if uh, fair pay agreements are not the way to higher wages, 
How do we ensure our wages at least catch up with Australia? Yeah, sure. I think there's a couple of points there. I just want to refer to that article because it 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 it, it, um, it carries on uh, a line which I think uh, I think has been run quite broadly. Um, Brett actually said uh, we don't want higher wages without higher productivity. <laughs> so okay. it's a it's a terrible misquote of a of is, actually is, a pretty. Is Morgan reason. Godfrey created? I didn't. I genuinely didn't know. No, has he, he, he created a straw man? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, half quoting. No, I, I, no, the, the half quote was I'm shocked already, was already out there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so how do we how do we create high wages? In fairness to Morgan, he points out it's it's like the classic defence of, of unionism. Really, he points out the difference between New World supermarkets or that um, the foodstuffs group and Countdown, and makes the point that one has significantly higher wages because that workforce is unionised. That that's a fair argument to to make, isn't it? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think, and again. It may well be that it's more more highly automated. Um, you know, there might be different skill sets. I mean, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you know one one workforce might be paid higher than another. I suspect workforce Business New Zealand's re- researchers are paid more than the taxpayer union researchers. <laughs> Not sure for example, about that. <laughs> um, fair pay agreement. <laughs> um, I just want to cover off a, a, Heck, a, a cover off a cover that would be <laughs> cover off a couple of things. Um, that that you mentioned. So how do we how do we get higher wages? Uh, so recent data shows that actually wage inflation or wage costs have been wages have been rising faster than costs since 2017. There's a piece of reserve bank stuff. That's ex housing. So you take that out. Yeah, you look at CPI. Yeah. Wages have been rising faster. You know we've got to. This is the, this links to the inequality stuff that the yeah. guys in New Zealand should have been doing. Is that you, yeah? It's it's actually it's been flat or even decreasing on some measures. Yeah. Or, all post housing that stuffs up. Yeah. So, and and Bryce Wilkinson. So Morgan Godfrey refers to some work that um, Bill Rosenberg did. Good work. Don't you know? Don't deny it. Saying that you know the share of workers' um, share of income has been declining since since the you know since the the early nineties when when kind of unionism was was. Became so it's tracked big, productivity became, pretty closely. Um, if you look at um, there's there's some other great work that's been done by Bryce Wilkinson from yep. the New Zealand Initiative, and and he kind of he he counters that argument pretty pretty powerfully, I think, which says that actually wages have tracked to productivity yep. or even slightly higher, and that's borne out by the by some of the. Um, and they, they all like to link it around the, the Employment Contracts Act, um, which was ironically, of course, under Bulger. Yeah, but the timing doesn't work. The correlation is. Uh, 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 doesn't match. No, and and there's a couple of other things. I mean, that, that's that are probably worthwhile talking about. If you if you don't enable uh, don't enable capital and um, have the right conditions for building capital, you're not going to drive into productivity through innovation, right? Because mm. if the capital is not available or not more readily available, and New Zealand has always been in some way, shape, or form capital constrained, you know, not yeah. like parts of the US. Um, then, then you're going to struggle to improve productivity much. And we have tried to improve productivity by just working more hours. Now that can't continue. Um, so you are going to. We need capital, and we need the. We need the. Uh, I think the public policy around capital development to be very supportive, so that that can happen quickly. Um, you know, if you look at the size of our stock market, for example, it's tiny in, con- yeah. in, in comparison to the size of, say, the banking sector. Now, that's not a value judgment; that's just a fact. Yeah. So, the, so, so, if you want um, higher productivity leading to higher wages, you need capital to drive that. 
Um, if you drive up wages uh, without that productivity, uh, you we are, we are heavily exposed from an international competitiveness perspective. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, our goods and services uh, won't, just won't be as competitive and therefore they won't be in demand uh, in the way that we've seen uh, they have been demanded over, over COVID and, and before that. So your argument in effect is this is cart before the horse, which will ultimately make us, make us uncompetitive and poorer. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I wish I could end on a good note, but we, of course we were talking off air about the, the next big uh, debate and, and fight we've got to have around these um, proposed changes to tax laws and the way it's just going to decimate the ability for small businesses to put capital back into businesses and the like. Um, it makes me terribly depressed from a point of view that the biggest problem in my life, you know, econ fundamental economic problem uh, in terms of our cause of our lower living standards compared to uh, Australia is the lack of capital. Um, these guys down the road at Parliament wanted, wanted, originally wanted to tax it and now finding a backdoor way to tax it. I know that's a, um, that's a, a conversation for another day, but we've got a heck of a, lot to work to, um, heck of a lot of work to do over the coming years to change hearts and minds, don't we? Yep, and I, I also think we, you know, we've, we need to fundamentally drive a, cult, a culture of, um, as I said, kind of respecting capital and, what, how the, and the way in which it can drive and deliver better living standards for New Zealanders. And if you don't do that, guess what? You won't get it. Kirk, we're definitely on the, on the same page. Thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. Pleasure, thanks. Thank you.